0: is falling off, so we just, there you go, so you just keep your eyes open, (laughs) we don't even know when that happened, it must have just come loose in some way, it seems like it's still attached very well, but uh, so, no feet stomping, no jumping, if you jump too high you might hit it. Right. If, if you happen to come forward for prayer or something, it would probably be best if you just stayed on the sides. So we'll, we'll take care of that this week here. We'll get that down. So, hey, hallelujah. Things happen on this side of heaven, right? That's, I'm just always amazed that things keep breaking no matter what we do. Amazing, amazing. Well, I'm glad that we could be in his presence this morning, and I'm glad that he can ride into our hearts triumphantly. And we know exactly what's happening when he does. We're we're not calling him just a prophet this morning. We're not calling him just a good teacher. We're calling him king of kings and lord of lords this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's stand together in his presence. Father, we just thank you so much that all of these years later, we do know what your entrance was into Jerusalem. We know what it meant. And we know that we are waiting for that second entrance to this realm when you come down and change us all into your glorious image. Until that time, we will call you King of Kings and Lord of Lords and worship you in that way. We thank you. We're going to praise you as we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you.
1: We stand and lift up our hands For the joy of the our strength We bow down and worship Him now. How great how awesome is He and together we sing our hands, we stand and lift up our hands, for the joy, for the joy of the Lord is our strength, we bow down and worship Him now, how great, how awesome is He, and together we sing. say é... That's right. The Lord God Almighty, the earth is filled with his glory, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the earth is filled with his glory, and the With selfless faith, I see a near.
0: seated for just a few moments. We're continuing on with our time of celebrating who Jesus is as Savior, Healer, and today is Baptizer. And uh, Roxanne is going to come and read for us. You have it in your bulletin.
2: Celebrating Easter. Jesus, our baptizer. Before he left earth, Jesus promised us that he would not leave us alone, but would send the Comforter. We know him as the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead. Because of him, we are not orphans, but sons and daughters of the Heavenly Father. On the cross, the holy fire of God consumed Jesus as the ultimate sin offering. In his resurrection, Jesus then used that same holy fire to baptize God's people and sanctify them. Because of this, many other wonderful results follow. We have a greater power to witness as well as a closer relationship with God. We have access to the gifts of the Spirit to embolden and empower us, and we have divine power over Satan, the flesh, and the world. Truly, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Let's read out loud together. As they met and ate meals together, he told them that they were on no account to leave Jerusalem, but must wait for what the Father promised, the promise you heard from me. John baptized in water. You will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will be able to witness in Jerusalem, all over Judea and Samaria, even to the ends of the world.
1: Into the room. Everything changes. Darkness starts to tremble at the light that you bring. And when you walk into the room, every heart starts burning and nothing matters more than just All we are, give you permission, our hearts are yours, we want you. We want you. So come and consume, God. All we are, give you permission, our hearts are yours, we want you. We want you, we give you permission, God. So come and consume, God. All we are, give you permission. Our hearts are yours. We want you. We want you. So come and to God. Oh, we are. We we'll give you permission. Our hearts are yours. We want you. Getting now, oh, all this is for you. Over our hearts So come and consume God, all we are We give you permission Our hearts are yours We want you We want you Come and consume So come and consume God, all we are We give you permission Our hearts are yours We want you you. We love you. We'll never stop. Can't live without you, Jesus. And we love you. Can't get enough of
0: maybe five and rehearse every negative detail in our lives. How many think you could do it in an hour? Not me. I'm going to, it would take me at least a day or two, but you know what? We have the choice of doing that or rehearsing everything good that God has done in our lives, right? It's our choice. It's our choice because God is so good. Good. What a wonderful father we have this morning. Father, we thank you so much that your word says that every good and every perfect gift comes down from the father of lights in whom there is neither variableness nor shadow of turning. We could depend on you to be good today and tomorrow morning and all week long, every day until you take us to be with you or you come back for us. You're that good. I pray that you would pour out your goodness. Help us to see that goodness. As we're serving you, whatever we might be going through, physical problems, emotional problems, spiritual problems, all we need to do is just look to the author and finisher of our faith, and you will perfect that which concerns us, and that's all we need to do. We praise you for your goodness, especially as we look toward Easter and what happened on that wonderful Easter Resurrection Sunday, where you displayed for the entire universe all of your goodness in one event. Oh my, what a wonderful thing it was. We praise you. We thank you for your goodness and your and the ability to worship you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Give him one last praise. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God bless you. You may be seated. <coughs> praise his name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Ushers, if you'll come. <coughs> Has anybody been thinking about the sword of Damocles over our heads the entire service yet? How many know what the sword of Damocles is? Oh, sorry. (laughs) The ushers are right under the sword of Damocles right now. So we will pray real quick and let them take the offering because we don't want them to get hurt. We have an offering to take. Lord, thank you for this time we can give to you, and we know that you will give back, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. You're going to take care of your body through the end of the age, and we thank you for it, Father. Bless both gift and giver in Jesus' name, amen and amen, hallelujah, hallelujah. The sword of Damocles, it was a mythical thing, right, that uh, there was a mythical character that always had a sword over him ready to kill him, so that's what that is, so for those of you... Who didn't know what that was? Hallelujah. Well, happy Palm Sunday to you. Uh, Young people, you may be dismissed. And uh, I believe there is somebody in the nursery and kids program if you need that. And for the rest of us, you can open your Bibles to, I believe, Matthew 21. There are several different Versions of the triumphal entry. Oh, and just one one thing as well. We have a, a typographical error in the bulletin. The event that is a sort of a grassroots kind of thing that is Wednesday, April fourteenth, not not Sunday. So, just so you know, you could read it and just change that Wednesday to a Sunday to a Wednesday. Matthew, the twenty-first chapter. <clears throat> uh, Let me see here. Yes, uh, here we go. 21st chapter, right off in verse 1, we uh, know this wonderful story of the triumphal entry. And let's just go ahead and read down through the opening 11 verses. Matthew, the 21st chapter. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. All this was done that might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey." So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread out their clothes across the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, "Hosanna! Blessed to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest!" Another, another uh, uh, quote from the Old Testament. And when he had come to Jerusalem, All the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. I want to speak to you this morning about the triumph of Jesus, the triumph of Jesus. And this this triumphal entry gives us a lot of wonderful little pictures, uh, several of them in particular. First, we see this wonderful upside-down kingdom of God, upside-down, backwards, backwards. We don't understand it in our natural mind. Behold your king on a donkey. (laughs) I mean, maybe even a mule. Could we move up a step? Half donkey, half horse? An Appaloosa? Something? You know, just a knight? No. A donkey. Wonderful upside-down kingdom. Second thing we see, the, the complete sovereign purpose of Jesus... Every step was planned and executed by Jesus from the entry into Jerusalem to the Mount of Olives, which we'll talk about later to the cross. It was all orchestrated perfectly by Jesus, our Lord and Savior. No surprises, no mistakes, no second guesses. Uh, He knew the donkey would be there. He knew the man with the donkey would be there as well. He knew there would be questions. He knew everything that was going to happen down to the minutest detail. And we'll get back to that in a moment then third we also see this kingdom pattern what a wonderful kingdom pattern we have here that is service first reward second service first reward second humility first exaltation second we'll get to this a little bit later as well humility first exaltation second in the kingdom of god to go up you go down it's the way it works in the kingdom to ascend you first descend that's the way it works. Matter of fact, the word even says that Jesus, after the cross, he who ascended is also he who descended into the lower parts, and led a host of captives out of captivity, and gave gifts to men. So it's that pattern, upside down, yet planned by God, and that wonderful pattern that we have. So we're going to see Jesus entering like a servant, but we're going to see him at the end exiting like a king. So three quick points about this. We're going to see first the prophetic Jesus, Then we're going to see the fickle people, and then we're going to finally see the wonderful authority that he has as king of kings and lord of lords. So first of all, the prophetic Jesus that we have. This glorious entry into Jerusalem was referenced in Psalm 118, Isaiah 62, Zechariah 9, Zechariah 14. It's the fulfillment of thousands of years of Bible prophecy. And in this, the very first thing we see is his authority, this when you look at this whole story and then of course you know what happens you could just flip uh, and and you could see what's going to go on from there we get the we get the garden of gethsemane we get uh, the attack of the pharisees and then we get the romans killing jesus and all of that kind of stuff you see where this whole thing is heading and you might think wow does jesus really have authority it doesn't look like it he comes in on a donkey and then wow this doesn't seem right But we see first his authority because there is no victory for Satan here. It was all planned from the beginning of time. No victory. John, the 10th chapter, verse 17. Jesus said, therefore, my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down for myself. I, do you think Jesus is making a point here? I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it up again. This command, I have received from my father. Six times he said, I'm going to do it. It's me. It's me. I'm doing it. I'm laying my life down. I'm taking it up again. I'm going to show you what authority I have. I'm going to show you that I have the authority to die and then raise myself from the dead. Wow. And it's interesting, in that passage, the word says, they picked up stones again. Now, I don't know about you, but the word again means to me again. (laughs) They did it before and they're doing it again. And they, so twice they tried to stone him. Then he went on and talked a little bit more. And then the word says they tried to seize him, but he escaped from them. So they tried to stone him twice. They tried to grab him and seize him once all in the same event, but they still couldn't kill him because he was not ready to die. In every form, Jesus is God. You can't control him. You can't change his mind. You can't coerce him. You can't bribe him. You can't destroy him. You could nail his hands. You could nail his feet. You could thrust in a spear. You could drain all his blood. You could lay him down dead. You could wrap him tight. You can even roll a stone across his tomb, but you'll never, ever keep him in the grave because he has all authority over life and death. Impossible. All by himself. (laughs) So he had this all planned, all planned. So he has all authority. He had the donkey planned, he had the clothes planned, he had the branches planned, he had the crowd planned, he had it all planned. So in this, we see also his control of destiny. When we read this passage that we just read, you'll find, just to narrow it down for you, Jesus says to the disciples, Go, find, and respond. Those are, those are three things Jesus said. Go, find, and respond. Go to that location. So, number one, he already knows the future. So he can say, go to that location. He, he knows exactly where it is right now. He already has the answer because he says, when they ask, <laughs> here's what you're going to say. So he already knows what they're going to say. And then he's already completed the task. It's already done. So first of all, he already knows the future. That's why the steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. The reason that they're ordered of the Lord is because the Lord knows where he's going. It's very simple. So he orders the steps. And you keep walking and he takes you to your destiny. He already knows the location to which he's bringing you. That point in your destiny is already secure because he's already there. He's there right now. He's here right now. Do you know that with him there is no here or there? He's omnipresent. There is no here or there. His here is already there. His there is already here. There is no time for him. He is right now in 2025. He is right now in 1813, in 1000 BC. He still is there because there is no time for him. It's just, a, it's just a flow and he and he can be anywhere he wants to be at any time. So he is in that place. So he already knows the future because he's already there. And that gives me great comfort because I don't even know what's going to happen this afternoon. I don't even know what's going to happen when I'm laying on the couch and my eyes start to go shut. None of us know, but he already does. He's already there. And He already knows every element of that situation that you will face. He knows every conversation that's going to happen, every word that's spoken, every allegation against you, every question that already has an answer, every argument already has a response. He already has it complete. It's done. It's finished. And that's why I say the task is already complete. It's already done. It's already over. Now, then you may say, your question might be, well, then why should I go? then why don't I just sit here? Well, the reason is very simple. If you do not go, you will not get to where he is. Since he's already there, you've got to get to where he is. He is standing there saying, come on, come on across the Jordan. It's okay. Come on, come on into Canaan land. Come on, here we go. Let's go, let's go. If you just sit there and stare, then you will never get to where he is. So we have to always go to where he is. Stationary, whoops, am I losing something here, Paul? Stationary objects don't go anywhere, as far as I know. Remember remember the pet rock that people used to buy a long time ago? (laughs) Guy made millions and millions of dollars on a pet rock. Isn't that something? (laughs) It just sat there. That's my pet. It just sits there. But stationary things do not move. They stay in the same place. They don't ever change. They're, they're there all the time. So he is not only the total authority, but he is in control of destiny for all of us. So that's the first thing we have to understand is his authority in this situation. This was not an accident. This was not a mistake. This was not a goof up. This was not, you know, he had it all planned. The second thing we, we, that we can see is what's amazing about this Even with, he's still in control, still has everything planned, even with all the fickle people that are around him. And I I hate to tell you this this morning, folks, but you're all fickle and I'm fickle. We're all fickle. We are just a fickle group of humans and that's what we are. And it's interesting, when you look at, you could look at this when you go home, you could read it in Luke 19, there's a parallel passage through this whole thing. And in Luke 19, uh, Luke says, a crowd of disciples followed him. But then later on in Luke 19, it says that in this crowd, the Pharisees asked him a question. Oh boy. So crowd of disciples. First of all, notice A crowd. A crowd. That's the first problem we have. Boy, crowds can be dangerous. Crowds can incite things the wrong direction. Crowds can do wrong things. There was a man named Korah in the Old Testament, right? Korah was the great-grandson of Levi. He was the third of Jacob's 12 sons. He was the first cousin to Moses and Aaron. Korah was born in Egypt, but it seems like there was more Egypt in him than God. That can happen sometimes. He was extremely wealthy. He was clever. He was astute. Aren't you glad that brains don't mean anything in the kingdom? <laughs> don't say amen. All the wives said amen and looked at their husbands. <laughs> Brain, brains don't mean anything in the kingdom. Here was a very smart guy, very intelligent man. He, was a, he, he, he had experienced the miraculous exodus from Egypt right? He saw the parting of the Red Sea. He saw Moses receive the law at Mount Sinai. He saw it all. But this man was not a humble disciple, was he? He was a self-promoter. He had a better idea. Don't you love people that always have a better idea? Oh, my Lord. Just amazing. He was a self-seeker. He was a God-rebeller. But mostly, he was a crowd-gatherer. Oh, and he gathered a crowd around him. Boy, didn't he? Smooth talk, all sorts of things. Gathered a crowd. He gathered a crowd around him that eventually was swallowed up into the center of the earth. Wow! I like what Mark Twain said. Mark Twain said, "Whenever you find yourself on the side of the majority, it's probably time to pause and reflect." And there's some truth to that. Of course, he said right after that, "No amount of evidence will ever persuade an idiot." That has nothing to do with my message, but I just thought that was really good. (laughs) It's good. Yes, there is safety in numbers. Yes, there is safety in many counselors. Yes, that's all true. But we are not crowd followers. We are Jesus followers. Amen. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. If I stop following Christ, Paul says, then stop following me. I, I was I was listening to a uh, excuse me Paul, am I going in and out, or is it just me i 'm okay i 'm okay okay good hallelujah thank you i 've always wanted to know if I was okay <laughs> it 's a load off my mind <laughs> um, I, I was matter of fact, I showed a clip of this brother I, uh, i won 't give you his name, but I showed a clip months and months ago about something i can 't remember he's a he 's a uh, pastor he 's also a, a college professor um, a, a wonderful man, a great teacher of the word intelligent, extremely intelligent. I enjoy listening to his little clips and stuff on on youtube and one time uh, one clip came up and it's and he said in the clip that if you do not use real wine in your communion services it 's a sin. I thought, wait wait a minute, wait a minute, what an idiot. (laughs) Now, a little background, he likes to drink and smoke cigars too. So, okay, just because you like to drink the chalice when the communion is all done, doesn't mean that we all have to either. But, here's the thing, I sat there and I thought, wait a minute, wait a minute, what if you have alcoholics or former alcoholics in your congregation? Number one, what what if you have people that are intolerant to alcohol? What if you have Native Americans in your congregation or you have a Native American congregation? Their bodies are intolerant to alcohol. That's a scientific fact. What what about the cost? What if you have a church of 200, 300, 400? Do you have much more wine costs than Welch's? It gets expensive. So I'm wondering, Does our a little bit of history here, folks, a little bit of history. Can I give you some history? There was a guy in the middle of the 1800s. His name was Louis Pasteur. Anybody ever heard of him? He created the, the process called pasteurization, which is what we do with our milk. Along came a guy named Welch. Ever heard of Welch? Welch was a guy that did not like to drink wine, but he wanted to drink fruit drink, And it just so happened around the mid-1800s, he looked and he said, hey, I could use pasteurization to take grape juice and make it stay grape juice real long. And then about 10 years later, guess what happened? They invented something called refrigeration. So people could drink grape juice and put it in their icebox in their refrigerator in the early 1900s and have grape juice as long as they want. I'm not sure if our brother knows it or not, but Jesus did not have pasteurization. Jesus did not have pasteurization refrigeration. So you had a choice in the early church. You either drank water that gave you diarrhea or you drank wine. There was no nothing else. There was no 7 Up, there was no Coke, there was no coffee. Oh, no coffee. Jesus, I bet you Jesus is drinking coffee in heaven right now like crazy. Cuz he couldn't drink it on earth. <laughs> so listen, If you want to get on board the stupid train, that's fine, but I'm not going to buy a ticket and go with you. I don't care how smart you are. I'm not going to do it. So I will follow someone's teaching as long as it lines up with the word and logic and reason, but once they get on the stupid train, I'm hopping off. Follow me as I follow Christ. Sometimes the crowd is following Christ. And we follow along. But other times, you're going to be walking all alone. And you know what happens in those times when you're walking all alone? Guess what? Probably most of the church is going to be looking at you thinking, what's the matter with you? That was not an amen section. That's okay. So we follow Christ. We don't follow the crowd. But notice too that this was also a crowd of disciples, but evidently not all were disciples because it was the same crowd that just a little while later was crying out, give us Barabbas and not Jesus. It was this crowd that was saying, we have no other king other than Caesar. Evidently they were not too much disciples. And we talked about disciples for the past few weeks. I like the story. Winston Churchill was trying to decide whether to go to Germany or not, and or whether to, to go to war with Germany or not. And so he asked one of his his advisors, "Would you betray England for one million pounds?" Now that that's a lot of money today. That would probably be twenty million or thirty million pounds. And and he scratched his head and he said, "Boy, I'm not sure." And then he said, "Well, would you betray England for two pennies?" And the guy said, "Never." What type of person do you think I am? And Churchill said, well, we know what type you are. Now we're just dickering on the price. <laughs> Enough said? Enough said. <laughs> That'll preach all by itself, right? So disciples, but not all disciples. And then the last category was disciples of Devils. There was a crowd of devils mixed in there, and some uh, some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said to him, "Master, rebuke thy disciples." And he answered and said to them, "I tell you that if these would hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out." Habakkuk two. You always have to have a couple of devils in church, right? It just makes everything exciting. There are always Pharisees in that crowd. We don't know what leaven is in that crowd that would cause, cause that crowd to be a fickle crowd. We wish that all of us would stand up the exact same way, but all of us may not. So enough of being fickle. We want to know If we know and if we follow on to know him, we want to know him in everything. I want to know him, as Paul said, we want to know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable unto his death. We want to know every part of who Jesus is. So we see his authority, then we see the the fickle people, and then finally in this we see the conquering king. And this is an interesting, interesting passage here. Because Jesus, after this time, of course, he he goes into Jerusalem, and then after this time, he goes to the Mount of Olives, and we know what happens there, Gethsemane, goes to Gethsemane, and he prays, and he sweats drops of blood, and he agonizes over the sin that's being placed on top of him. But this Mount of Olives is somewhat interesting because it takes it, it takes, a, it takes a, 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 there's a picture of the, several places in the Old Testament uh, one of the times is Solomon when he backslid, he went up onto the Mount of Olives and he created uh, altars to the gods which were later just destroyed uh, so that was one time. But the other time is very fascinating and this is the time when David was fleeing from his son Absalom, you know the story and it eventually ended up with Absalom being hung by his own hair on the tree and he, and he died. But Absalom wanted the kingdom. He was not the one to have the kingdom. Solomon was going to have the kingdom. But Absalom wanted the kingdom, so he began to lie and cheat and deceive his way into his father David's kingdom. He began to sway the hearts of people through lies and deception. He would stand at the city gate. Uh, uh, you, you, you can read it in 2 Samuel when you go home. It's just fascinating. He would stand in, in the gate of the city, and someone would come and say, we need someone to judge us in this situation and and. and, uh, and uh, uh, Absalom, who chased his father out of the city would say, oh, I'm sorry, there's no king in Jerusalem right now. And I wish I could help you, but I'm not the king. <laughs> but if the king comes back, we'll help you. Uh, unless you want to make me the king... So he, through this lies and deceptions, he wormed his way in. And there are two, two interesting things as you read through this passage, two interesting things that you'll note. Absalom in 2 Samuel was never called the king of Israel, and David was almost never called David. He was called the king every time. That shows me something. That tells me that in spite of what was happening in the world of lies, God's truth remained that David was king. In the same way, in spite of what looked like in Jerusalem, in spite of the donkey, in spite of the mock trial, in spite of the lies, in spite of the cross, in spite of a dead Jesus in a tomb, Jesus was and still is the king. Hmm. For in that he put in subjection all things, the writer of the Hebrews says, under him, He left nothing that is not put under him. Yet we do not see everything put under him, but we see Jesus. In other words, no matter what's happening in the world around us, no matter how confusing it looks, we see Jesus. We keep our eyes on him. But back to the story, because it's interesting. So David had to flee. He had to flee for his life into the wilderness. And as he fled into the wilderness with some of his most trusted men, the word says that he ascended the Mount of Olives and wept while he went up. And when he reached the top of the Mount, his head was covered and his feet were bare. And at the top of Mount of Olives, David wept and worshiped. Have any of you ever wept and worshiped? Have you ever been so troubled in your spirit? That you groaned in agony, but yet somehow deep inside there, there was a worship as well. You didn't understand it, but you wept and you worshipped. You felt the despair, but yet you felt the hope. And you wept and you worshipped. As he wept and as he covered his head, there came a man to him named Ziba, Z-I-B-A, And Zeba came to him with two donkeys. (laughs) Anybody get the parallel yet? Donkeys coming to the mount. Two donkeys. Boy, evidently, God uses donkeys a lot. Aren't you glad God uses donkeys? Aren't you glad he does not use purebred wild steeds? Aren't you glad he doesn't use purebred horses? He uses donkeys. I'm not saying anything about you guys. I'm just talking about me. But he sent two donkeys laden with bread and raisins. And David was strengthened and he continued the battle and he took back Jerusalem. Over a thousand years later, Jesus would ascend the Mount of Olives. He would come to Gethsemane and he would weep and he would worship. He would weep and he would worship. He wept so hard that drops of blood came out of the pores of his skin. As the weight of sin, the sin of every human being for all time, past, present, and future, because remember there is no time with God, As that weight began to be laid on the sacrifice named Jesus, he wept and he wept and he wept. And he said, Father, please, could this cup, could this cup? No, it can't. It can't. And in that weeping, there was still that worship that said, not my will, but thine be done. But this time, this time on the Mount of Olives, whereas the first David had two donkeys laden with food, This time, the second David, the second king. God did not send Azeba this time, but God sent Judas. And Judas kissed him on the cheek and sealed the fate. Unlike David, Jesus did not escape. Jesus did not run. Jesus did not hide. He said, this is my Gethsemane, which means oil press, or wine press. This is the place where I will be pressed as a sacrifice for the world. This is the place where I will be bruised for the iniquities of the world. This is the place where the chastisement of humanity will come upon me. This is where the oil and the wine will be pressed out of my body so that sins could be covered. This is where the breaking will occur so that trespasses can be taken care of. And Jesus submitted to that pressure and that pressing on the Mount of Olives with no escape. There was no Jerusalem to go back to. There was no throne to sit on at that time. He knew ahead of him was nothing but heartache, despair, torture, agony, rebellion from people, and he would die all alone, suspended between God the Father and the earth. That's where Jesus went, to the Mount of Olives. But... Oh, I'm so glad we have good news. (laughs) I'm so glad that the gospel of Jesus is good news. Because that's not the end of the story, right? Zechariah, the 14th chapter, tells us that in the last day, Jesus will make one more trip to the Mount of Olives. Oh yeah, he's going to come back To the Mount of Olives, and Zechariah tells us that in that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. And he says, There will be no light anymore. There will be no day or night anymore. The mountains will split into two. Living waters will flow out from the mountain. There will be no more tears. There will be no more weeping Messiah. There will be no more sweat drops of blood. There will be no more Roman soldiers. There will be no more Judas. He's long and gone. There will be no more sleeping disciples. There will be no more cross. There will be no more death. Zechariah says, the Lord shall be king over all the earth, and holiness shall be engraved on all of creation. Hallelujah. King of kings and Lord of lords. That's, that's, that's what the triumphal entry is all about. It's not about donkeys. It's not about crowds. It's not even about the cross, really. I believe that's why prophetically Jesus went to the Mount of Olives because he wanted to make a statement there that I'm going to do something that the first king could not do. I'm going to do something that the first Adam could not do. I'm going to do something that every priest, prophet, and king could not do. I am going to seal eternity with my own blood and bring in a new kingdom, a new heaven, and a new earth. And he did. So this morning, we know now what Jesus did on that triumphal entry. And we could worship him not as a prophet riding a donkey. No, 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 no. We worship him as a king of kings and lord of lords riding into our hearts every day with all authority, all power, all might, all dominion. Every name that is named is under him and he is in us and we are in him. Hallelujah. Let's just bow our heads. Father, what a joy it is to be on this side of the cross, There are many things about this modern world. There are many things about this last days that we're living in that we question and we're concerned about and we wonder where it's going and what's happening. But one thing we do know, that we know everything that that early crowd did not know. We know that you were not just a prophet from Nazareth. We know that you were not just a good teacher. We know that you were not just a healer. We know that you were not any of those... You were all of those things, but... That's not what you are. You are God in the flesh, King of kings, Lord of lords. And to think that you yourself, Father, came in earthly form, suffered, bled, and died for us just so that we could be set free. The Lord shall be king over all the earth, and holiness is now engraved on our foreheads and on our hands. We are now your new kingdom of priests. And we can rest in that in the days ahead. We thank you for birthing that in your people. We receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, it was Isaiah, the prophet, Isaiah 62, 11, part of what Jesus quoted, or what the crowd quoted. And he says, he prophesies, say to the daughter of Zion, your salvation is coming. And then he gives four things that we become. He says, because of his coming, we shall be a holy people. We shall be the redeemed of the Lord. We shall be sought out and we shall be a city not forsaken. That's us this morning. (laughs) Aren't you glad you're not lost this morning? You're not wandering aimlessly. You've been sought out. You've been sought out by your Savior. Aren't you glad that you are a city set on a hill? You're not forsaken. Inside the city of your heart, you have Jesus living abiding and shining forth. You are a holy people. Peter says it, doesn't he? You are a holy nation, a holy people, God's own peculiar people, called out of darkness into his glorious light. We are the redeemed of the Lord. Hallelujah. All stand to your feet. And if you believe if you believe that you're the redeemed of the Lord, give him praise right now. Could you do that? Give him a clap offering. The redeemed of the Lord. Because the word says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Hallelujah. Oh, Father, we praise you this morning as your redeemed people. And we take our palms, we take our hearts, and we go forth praising you as King of kings and Lord of lords to the glory of God. Hallelujah. Amen and amen. Praise the Lord. God bless you. Enjoy your Palm Sunday together. See you on Easter.